We are continuing in our God Chose series today. We've got to part number three, and we're going to be talking about how God chose the foolish today. God chose the foolish. So a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, my wife found this restaurant, this tiny little kind of hole in the wall um, that uh, we decided to try out. Um, It was called uh, Bronze Bronze, and it was an Australian meat pie shop. Now, some of you are like, what on earth is an Australian meat pie shop? Well, I got so excited because in Australia and also in the UK, it actually started in the UK, but the Australians stole it like they do most of the things. But uh, if you're Australian, I'm sorry. But uh, uh, they're just like our convicts, so they're the British convicts. So, so I'm sorry, I'm not being bad to Australians. But so in England and also in Australia, they have these things called meat pies. And what they are, think about it, a chicken pot pie without the actual pot. And you've got the pastry all the way around. Like everything is pastry with the meat inside. And so, and, 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 and not to be offensive to Americans either, but you guys really don't know how to do pastry either. So like it's even better in, in, in the UK. So what they have, they have all these different types of, of meat pies. So my wife found it. I'm like, we have to go and try this place. So we went and tried it. Um, and we went in and I looked at the menu and my like lips were like moving already. Like my drool was coming out and I saw the menu and on the menu, it first said like chicken and mushroom pie. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. I could try that. Then it's like steak and kidney pie, which I'm not a huge fan of steak and kidney pies, but they're not bad. Then it said like spinach and feta cheese pie. And then the last one was a steak and ale pie. And let me just tell you, if you've ever tried a steak and ale pie, you have gone to heaven. Like, it is heaven. It is what they serve in heaven. I'm not sure sure if they serve actually ale in heaven. I'm not sure. But it's like cooked, so the alcohol's gone out of it. So steak and ale pie. So I'm like, I've got to have this. So I try it, and it's as good as I remember. And I'm like, I wanted about three of them. Um, And the lady says, actually, you could freeze them, and you could take them with you. But we were actually in Los Angeles at the time. And so I was like, we're not going to be able to do it. So I ate this, and it was amazing. And this store, this little, it was a tiny little Australian thing, that uh, store that this lady from Australia, she had come over and she started. They sold three things. They sold meat pies. They sold pastries, actually dessert pastries, and they sold coffee. And so we had eaten our meat pies, and my wife was like, oh, I want a pastry, I want a pastry. And I like stuff myself, so I couldn't have any pastries. Well, the problem was, at this place, was uh, the pastries were under $5, and if you wanted to use a card, you had to spend over $5, and I didn't have any cash on me at the time, and so I was like, okay, you can have a pastry, what else can I have? So I look at the coffee menu. And I'm like, I'll have a coffee. Well, on the coffee menu, the coffee menu isn't your regular, regular decaf, black, white, sugar, no sugar. It is like full Italian. I'm like, I'm not sure what's going on, but they've got all these different words. And I'm kind of used to it because I like Starbucks. So you go to Starbucks. But what they had, they had cappuccino. They had flat white. They had cafe latte. They had cafe mocha. And then they had uh, macchiato. And so I'm looking through. I'm like, I don't want a cappuccino, like too many calories in a cafe mocha. 
And so I'm like, I'm like, okay, oh, I'll go for the macchiato. Well, at the time I called it macchiato, and uh, and all I remember is the only time I've really had a macchiato is at Starbucks, and they are delicious. And every time I go into Starbucks, I have a caramel macchiato, and that's what I call it. Well, I had this drink. And I had it to go, and she gave me this big cup, and I looked inside, I'm like, where's my coffee gone? I'm like, there was hardly any coffee. It was a tiny little bit of coffee, and there was just some white stuff on the top. I'm like, what sort of caramel macchiato is this? And so I'm walking out of the store, and as I walk out of the store, I take a sip, and I'm like, oh my word, this is so strong. I'm like, <laughs> like this. And my wife turns to me, she goes, has the coffee? And like all good guys were like, oh, it's wonderful. Best coffee ever I've ever tasted. Because I didn't want to tell her, like I ordered something and I really didn't know what it was. I actually didn't know what a, well, I called it macchiato. It's actually pronounced macchiato. And I did not know what one of those was at the time. All I know was what Starbucks served. And this is what Starbucks serves. Starbucks serves the delicious, multi-layered macchiato begins with steam, milk steamed until it is stretched and smooth to bring out its natural sweetness and it's topped by a, de- a dense creamy foam the rich espresso is poured over and through the foam where it mixes with the milk and creates a brown mark on top who wants a macchiato now what Starbucks failed to tell you is they lace it with vanilla syrup and caramel everywhere. Basically, it is not a coffee. It is milk and sugar with a tiny little bit of coffee. I actually, for the first time, had a real macchiato, and I felt so foolish because I'm walking, and I this was not what I ordered. This is not what I thought I had ordered. And I realized for the first time, it's a good job I never started a coffee shop because I would have no idea what I was ordering. So as I drank, and I, as I was drinking the coffee, and I was walking along the streets of Los Angeles... And I'm drinking my really expensive, really strong, really small cup of macchiato. I suddenly started thinking about Generation Church. And this is why. Because I felt a fool drinking this thing. Because I ordered something I didn't understand what I had ordered. I I had a coffee that uh, I recognized the name, but the reality is I really didn't know much about it. And as I started thinking about Generation Church, I started thinking about how we started Generation Church. I started thinking that we were a little foolish when we started Generation Church. There was a guy from England. There was a girl from Latin America. And then there was a girl from the wonderful place of Springfield, Missouri, of all places. We had no idea about Bel Air culture, no idea about Harford County culture. All we knew is that God wanted us to start a church. And then there was a redneck from Jarrettsville, and uh, I'm not saying who that was, but, uh, but you probably can guess. And then there was a girl from Falston. Both of them had never really been in part of church leadership, never had really led anything in the church, and didn't know anything about starting a church at all. And then we had some other people who basically had come and be part of our little group because they were fed up with the church that they were part of, or they were fed up with church altogether, or they were just trying to discover this Jesus thing out themselves. And when I look back, I'm thinking, we were a bunch of fools. 
We were so foolish thinking that we could start a church. What we didn't realize is that we knew what church was. Like, you know, that a, a macchiato is a coffee. But once we started to get involved, we started realizing, whoa, it's way more, way different than what we ever thought. We've been involved. I've been involved in church in my life. But I never had really understood the ins and outs of leading a church. And I felt like a fool. You know, it was like it was like American Idol's last uh, uh, thing this this uh, last week, right? And the one thing from American Idol, forget all the winners. This is the one thing I always remember. There was this dude who went in and he sang a song called "Pants on the Ground," looking like a fool on the pants on the ground. Remember that? And uh, and I felt like that. I felt like a fool with my pants on the ground. <laughs> well, not really with my pants on the ground. But this is the the, the reality. I started asking, why didn't God choose people who understood the culture better than what we did? Why didn't God choose people who were more experienced in leading a church than, than us? Why didn't God choose people more skilled than us, more equipped than us, people who had more experience and really were probably a little bit more mature than us? Why didn't God choose people who were wiser than us? Why did God choose us? Out of the 7 billion people in this world, why did God choose us to start this church? And I started thinking through it and I started realizing Because if you look at history and look at God's relationship with mankind, God does this every single time. Time and time and time again. God uses people who seem foolish and he does more through them than whatever they are capable of. Look at this in John chapter 1. And verse 43, Jesus has just gone to some different people and asked them to be his disciple. He's gone to a fisherman who's had no training in the Bible at all called Simon Peter. And he says, will you be my disciple? And now Simon Peter is Jesus' disciple. And then we get to verse 43 and it says this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now remember that, Galilee. This is the place that Jesus went to. It was a region in Judea at the time. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Then Philip went to look for Nathanael, who was his friend, and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Then Philip says, come and see for yourself. So Jesus is from a little place called Nazareth. Jesus is asking other men from Galilee to be his disciples. Let me just put you in in some context. Galilee was found to be in contempt to the other Jews. The other Jews around the region did not like Galilee because Galilee was not a place that wise, intelligent people came from. Galilee was the worst of the worst. It was a working class place and people were not intelligent. People were seen as foolish from Galilee. Simon, Peter, Andrew, his brother, Philip, they were all from Galilee. Then he comes to this guy called Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is from Galilee. They are not 
the best people that you would think about starting a brand new revolution in this world and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And then this is what Nathaniel says. Philip says, come and see a guy who the prophets talked about. His name is Jesus from Nazareth. And he said, Nazareth, is anything good come from Nazareth? And this is the deal. Nazareth was in Galilee, but it was the armpit of Galilee. Nazareth was the worst of the worst. Nazareth had no historical prominence at all. Nothing good had ever happened in Nazareth. If you lived in Nazareth, you tried to get out of Nazareth. Nobody who had ever made anything in their life had come from Nazareth. Yet Jesus decided to be known as Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. I love this because it just shows how Jesus works. He takes the lowly, he takes the place of no hope, and hope rises out of it. He takes the people who were foolish in the world's eyes and he makes them into something incredible. At the age of 16, God called me to become a pastor. It was this intense moment and I almost had like this almost out-of-body experience. I can never explain it. Never had it before, never had it again. I saw this vision of where I'd be in 50 years' time and it was the most amazing thing ever. And I said yes to becoming a pastor. I said yes to becoming a preacher. I said yes to following the call of God on my life. But the guy who I was at 16 is not now the guy who I am at 36. The little boy at 16, and I was a little boy, 16-year-olds think they're men, but I was a little boy. I was shy. I would not talk to a stranger. I still wanted to be around my mom, even at 16, you know, unless I was a pretty girl, then I would follow her. I was like too shy to say anything to her, but hey, I was shy. I didn't talk to strangers. My mom and dad told me that. Don't talk to strangers, and I didn't. I was somebody who nobody would have thought could have become a preacher or a pastor. This is why I couldn't even read properly. Like, I would read, and I would get all my words jumbled up, and I would get so nervous I couldn't even read. Actually, in normal conversation with people, I couldn't even get my words the right way round. I stuttered a lot. I, I, I said things that, like, out of context because I really didn't understand words. I wasn't, like, stupid. You know, I mean, I was, like, I still had intelligence. But... What came out of my mouth was not always what I was thinking in my brain. And I thought, God, how can you use me? Look at all these other people that you could use, but you use the guy who can't even like speak to a stranger. Why would I become a pastor, a preacher? Why would you use me for your purposes? You know why? Because God uses the foolish things of this world to bring about his purposes. See, I realized at the age of 16 that it's not who you are that God looks at, it's who you can become. It's not how gifted and wise that you are that qualifies you for the purposes of God, it's how willing that you are to let God use you and work through you. And so today we've got a special treat for you. 
So we planted this church five years ago, just uh, five and a half years ago. And uh, it was the greatest ride of our lives. We had the biggest highs, the biggest lows. And we love church planting. We love church planters. We love people who will start new churches. And what I've realized about church planters the most of the time is that they're just foolish people. They think that they can like go and do this amazing stuff. And they have this like dream. And everyone else is thinking, what are you thinking? Look yourself in the mirror. You cannot not go and do that. It's because they understand that God uses the foolish of the world. So today we have a church planter with us today. His name is Kyle Carson. And uh, I met Kyle uh, several months ago and uh, we've, uh, we've talked and uh, he is going to be planting a church uh, pretty close to us. And so we wanted to help him any way that we can. And so this morning, just talking about this, how God chose the foolish uh, and, and to help you understand how God can use you. I'm going to invite Kyle to come up and we're just going to have a little chat for a little bit. And, uh, and you're going to get to hear his story and about what God's going to do for him. So let's give Carl a Generation Church welcome this morning. You can sit right there. Good morning. Oh, you guys can do better than that. (laughs) Man, welcome him. Good morning. Anyway, so Kyle is from Texas, right? Yeah, he had like a Texan, Houston Texans yeah, I think, I, I, I think I'm the only Houston Texans fan in Maryland. Yeah, we I, actually we, we used to have a, a couple who were from Texas, and then they got so homesick they went back to Texas. So uh, let's hope that you know. So so you are going to be planting a church. Uh, you're from Texas, and so you've come up to the greatest state in the world, the state of Maryland, um, where the weather is wonderful all the time. So uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself and about where you came from, how you met the Lord, and just about how uh, you came to a, to a point where you decided to do this foolish thing and decide to start a brand new church. Yeah, thanks. Well, uh, let me just say thank you for, for having me today, Alex. Thanks for letting me share uh, with you guys. It's a, it's a joy to worship with you and to lift up the name of Jesus together. Thank you guys for, for leading us so well earlier. Um, yeah, so uh, I grew up the son of, uh, of, of faithful, devoted Christian parents. Uh, I trusted in Christ uh, when I was about six years old. Uh, so very, very young. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think the gospel became very real <clears throat> and personal to me when I was uh, in my later high school years, junior, senior year uh, in high school. Um, I, I, I lived in, in this kind of like, I had kind of a double life going on in some ways. Like I knew what I was supposed to be and, and what the Lord wanted from me. And so I had kind of one, I had put on my church face and I knew how to play the, you know, the kind of good Christian boy um, when I was around those people. And then during the week, uh, when I was at school or wherever, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be popular. I never was any of those things, but I wanted to be. Uh, and so, you know, and that led me, you know, to make some, some pretty dorky decisions. But, um, but the Lord was very faithful to me in all that time. Um, <clears throat> but I came to find, like, I was, I, I would mess up all week long and, um, and live this this kind of double lifestyle and feel constantly guilty. And then I'd go back to church on the weekend, and and now I've got to play this church game again. But like I knew, I figured God didn't even really want to see me or hear from me uh, because of what I'd been doing all week long. And so I just had this kind of constant sense of guilt and uh, and shame about kind of who I was and how I was relating to God and how I was living out in the world. Um, but I came to realize that um, that I had been completely viewing my relationship with God on the basis of my own sort of performance, my own Christian behavior. Uh, and so if I behaved well, then God would 
want to hear from me. And if I didn't behave well, then he was disappointed and, you know, would want me to stand in a corner or something. Um, But, of course, the gospel, the good news of new life in Jesus Christ is that our relationship with God is completely on the basis of Jesus' obedience and performance and not on mine. And so I I started to understand, I think maybe for the first time, um, in a very personal way, that that my performance didn't didn't uh, define my relationship with God, and that brought a, a sense of freedom that I hadn't experienced uh, before. And it's, I think it's that freedom, the sense of just acceptance with God. I know that God loves me. I know that God approves of me because of Jesus, not because of how well I check off the the list of Christian duties. Um, that freedom sort of drives me in what I do in ministry. Um, for the past 11 years before we moved here, we moved here in August of last year. Uh, for about 11 years, I was full-time worship pastor in Houston, Texas. And um, so I've been in ministry, been in church world, you know, pretty much all my life. Um, but we sensed, you know, the Lord inviting us on this crazy journey um, of, of starting a new church, and not just starting a new church, but starting a new church kind of halfway across the country. Uh, we're doing this in about the hardest possible way that you could by moving away from everybody that you know and all of the networks that you've developed and sort of, they call it parachute planting. You imagine just dropping into a neighborhood and going, all right, let's get started. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> what we've done. Um, so it, it's, it's been quite the, quite the journey so far. Um, but we're confident that the Lord is with us in it and that he's paved the way and led us here. Um, you know, we really, in Houston, Houston's a very church-saturated city, which is not to say that there aren't needs uh, for, for gospel ministry there. There are. The city is continuing to grow. Um, but there's so many churches and so many mega churches and so many church plants kind of already in the works. My wife and I both felt uh, that we wanted to, to be in a place um, where there was a, a, a greater need for an evangelical witness and for kind of, you know, the birthing of a church planting movement. And uh, and so the Lord ultimately led us, led us to Baltimore. Uh, and specifically, we're in Perry Hall, so, you know, northeast Baltimore County. It's a very family-saturated area. Uh, we have four kids. Uh, my wife is going to give birth to our fifth kid within wow. the month. Uh Yes, yeah, so I, we jokingly say that's our church planning strategy is just, just to keep yeah. adding kids. Hey, don't worry. We're, we're doing that here at Generation Church, you know? We're growing the church by babies. So. That's right, man. That's a good way to do it. So um, anyway, so we'll be getting to see what it's like to care for our newborn and start a church at the same time. So uh, God really does call the foolish. Uh, in the yeah. so, anyway. so let let me just say, like, we had a, a, a baby last year and pastoring a church and having a baby is probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. Like two things at once because... One requires a lot of your time, the other requires even more of your time, and one, you get no sleep, and then the other, you get no sleep, so it's like, it's great, you know? So uh, Thanks, I have that yeah, to yeah. so encourage you on that, yeah, absolutely. So, so, so let me ask you, so, the, you know, you have options as your worship pastor, uh, you're in Texas, and uh, obviously, the life of a worship pastor, it's not easy, but it's not the life of a, of, a, of a church planter. So, you know, obviously you feel that God is wanting to take you into senior leadership. So why, why church planting? Why do you think God chose you as opposed to the other 7 billion people in this world to start in Perry Hall? And why not like a, another church that's already just needing a pastor? Why not go to one of those? Yeah, great question. Um, uh, I, I, I think in a lot of ways I do feel um, that God called us to what we're doing in Perry Hall, uh, in some ways, in spite of my natural giftedness and, and things like that. Um, you know, I, 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 I felt the, the first sort of step in my sense of calling toward, God, toward what God wanted me to do was 
in, in simple church leadership, like to be a, a lead pastor in a church. And so to be honest with you, at first I was just checking with existing churches that were looking for a pastor to see if there might be an opportunity there. Um, and none of, none of those things fit right or materialized. And, uh, and so we were kind of, you know, back to the drawing board a little bit, but I, I, but God had given me some relationships with other guys in the Houston area that were planning churches. And so I kind of started just to, to bat that idea around, started having conversations with people about church planting. Um, and I'll never forget one particular conversation that was kind of a turning point for me in my decision to, to plant a church instead of find an existing church that, to pastor. I sat down with this guy who was planting a church in downtown Houston, and he had four kids, very similar ages to my kids. And so I was very curious, like, even if it, if, if it was possible to plant a church with four kids and um, what's this like on your family? Because I heard horror stories about, you know, people kind of wrecking their families in ministry and stuff. So um, so I just sat down with them and said, all right, you just tell me what this has been like. Would you do this again? Would you advise me against this or encourage me toward it? What, what do you say? And, uh, and I'll never forget what he said. He had been, you know, in this kind of big church, had this great position of leadership, you know, kind of that a lot of pastors would think of as like the end goal ministry job. And he left that to plant this little church. And he said, um, you know, I spent a lot of my time kind of in the church bubble. Like, I was only around church people all the time and, like, organizing church ministries. And he said, what we've discovered when we kind of ventured out, you know, into the church planning world is that our lifestyle has been radically reoriented around just reaching lost people. Like, that's all that we – all that we do. And, like, because this is our livelihood as well, it's like you reach people or you starve. Um, and he's like, so there's this great sense of motivation for it, not only in that, but – but you're building relationships with people who don't know the Lord and who need the Lord, and your kids are, you know, like, have that on the radar all the time. And so we're praying for our lost friends, and we're having unbelievers in our home for dinner, and, and it's just this incredible kind of reorientation of your lifestyle. And, I, and in that moment, I went, that's what I want for myself. I want that for my, for my wife and my kids. Like, I want them to be a part of this, this faith journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of the moment that I went, church planting is what, is what God is going to, is, is calling me to do. And so that began this journey. I don't have time to go into the whole process, but, you know, kind of step by step, uh, narrowing it down to, okay, church planting, yes, church planting, not in Houston, church planting in Baltimore and church planting in Perry Hall specifically. So why did he call me and not one of the other seven people in the world? Uh, because God likes to call foolish people, I think. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, no, but truly, uh, my wife and I have a big heart for families, uh, family ministry, which is why we have a big family. It's not like we have a heart for families because we have a big family. It's the other way around. Uh, and so because of that, we wanted to be in an area um, where there were a lot of families um, and families that, you know, that needed guidance, needed the grace of, of the gospel. And uh, and so I just feel like the Lord providentially guided us to this spot. And, uh, and so, like I say, we landed there in August, and uh, it's been... It's been an incredible journey, and and you're exactly right to say, you know, being in church life and even being in church ministry um, doesn't necessarily prepare you for right. all of the specific things that you're going to have to do right. as a church planter. And so, uh, in a lot of ways, I feel like, and I think this is why, this is how the Lord works. This is why He calls the foolish. A lot of times, I feel like where the Lord is working the most in our ministry um, is in those places where I have no clue what I'm doing. And I just, I have to make, you know, get some advice from people and then make my best guess and take a step. And I feel like that's where the Lord meets me. Right. Um, and so it's like, 
just keeping my eyes on Jesus and taking steps of faith and watching him show up in those moments. And it's been, it's been pretty incredible. Yeah, right? and, like I, I and I would say that not just for ministry, but for your life as well, for your, for your marriages, for your finances, for, you know, just your friendships and your careers. Often at times we have to make steps of faith and we're not sure where we're going, but we have to make that step of faith. And that's where God meets us in that step of faith. You know, you put one foot forward and God takes you by the arms. But unless you take that one foot forward, his arms are open, but you're not going to be carried by his arms. And that's the same, you know, with church planting. So what's the new church called? And uh, kind of give us a little bit of the timeline. So you came here in August. Um, so you haven't really experienced spring yet here and still haven't about experienced spring. You know? so, uh, I think there was about a week of spring, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, normally here it goes from like 40 degrees to 80 degrees. Like and in between there's a week of 60s, 70s. That's about it. So tell us the name of uh, the church and just kind of your timeline, where you've been and where you're going. Yeah, so uh, we're planting Imprint Community Church. Uh, imprint has kind of a dual meaning, the first of which is uh, in relationship to the image of God. So God created every human being and put the imprint of his nature on their souls, which implies that every human being is worthy of dignity, of care, of ministry, of protection, uh, even those that our society sort of cast aside or decides not to not to care about. And so that, that there's, a, there's an ethos there in our ministry that we want to reach out to to anyone and everyone because they're made in the image of God. And there's also the notion of wanting to make a mark for the kingdom of God uh, in the Perry Hall area. And so um, so we want to be a church that cares about the imprint of God in people's lives and that, that leaves an imprint, uh, a God-shaped imprint in our in our community. So that's kind of the, 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 the meaning behind the name. Um, moved here in August, and obviously we're just, like at that point we're figuring out how to do life here, um, setting up our house, figuring out where the grocery stores are, learning our way around all these crazy streets. Um, and so there's a lot of, a lot of what we've been doing is just how do we, how do we exist in, in this place? But along the way, uh, have had really great opportunities and seen ourselves really as catalysts for community where we are. Uh, and what we're finding is that people are hungry for community and they don't generally have it because our lifestyles don't really allow for it. And so if we simply open our home and say, hey, we're going to have a gathering, people show up and they stick around and they make friends with one another. And, uh, and so that's been pretty cool to see. Um, so where we are now, our strategy for, for uh, Imprint Community Church is to, um, to begin with a, a home discipleship group model and basically try to multiply those groups uh, to a point to sort of critical mass. Uh, and we'll probably end up combining that with kind of a, a you know, a, an attractional launch. Um, and and a critical mass. How many people would you say that would be? Yeah, I think so. Right now, we've got we've got one home group that's meeting on a weekly basis, and there's about ten people that are a part of that group. Uh, I would think at least four of those groups meeting. Okay. Um, so again, that's like if God says go, we're going to go, whether we got four groups right. or not. But um, because it's one of those places where we just take a step and watch God show up. But um, but that's kind of my goal in my mind. I'd love to have four groups meeting on a regular basis, um, you know, between five and ten people in each of those groups. And so um, uh, so that's kind of what we're working towards. So I'm, I'm currently, this group is going really well. Oh, my goodness, such amazing opportunities to speak the gospel into the lives of people who don't know the Lord but who are coming and have a Bible open on their lap and are hearing the good awesome. news of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, and so we would love to see that group multiply into, into three or four new groups, which means I've got to identify another leader or two or three um, and develop them and kind of hand something off to them. And so there's, there's, there's a lot to do and be developed between now and sort of launch time. But our, our goal 
for kind of going public, you know, and having weekly worship services going on and things like that is uh, September of this year. Uh, so September 18th is the particular Sunday I've kind of targeted. Um, you know, and we're holding that with open hands, you know, uh, if the Lord can change and, and redirect however he chooses. But at this point, that's, I've set my face to September 18th, and we're, we're pushing with all our strength toward that, toward that date. So um, like I said, we're, we're encouraged about where we are in the journey based on everything, our move and, and a baby coming and all of that. Um, but uh, there's a lot, left to, a lot left to do, a lot more to go. Right. So. We, we started September 19th. Was it 19th? I think it was 19th. So, yeah, so pretty close. And uh, so what can we do for you, Kyle? I mean, as, as a church, you know, we're, we're here. We've been here five years. We're still kind of trying to figure this whole thing out. But, you know, we've got a handle on something. So what as a church community can we do for you and for Imprint Church? Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, the classic uh, kind of three-point um, response to the work of God and the call of God, uh, pray, give, and go works just fine. Um, we need people that are willing to pray for us, that will will know, will know us, be aware of what's going on in our ministry enough to be able to pray specifically for people, for what we're working on, what we're, what we're wanting to see God do. Um, and so um, if you would feel, if you feel that the Lord might be inviting you into that or, or calling you toward that, like we would love to just add you to our uh, to our like update list or even develop more relationship than that. If you want to know more specifics about, about our family needs or like our, what's going on in our ministry, uh, we need prayer partners. I mean, that is extremely important. Uh, if I feel like um, any movement of God, any movement of the spirit of God has got to be grounded in and, and bathed in prayer, just right. calling upon God to do what only he can do. Um, so pray is the first thing uh, that you could do corporately, individually, however the Lord leads you all to do that. The second is uh, give. And so there is there's significant uh, need for resources, financially and otherwise. Um, if, the, if uh, again, if you feel the Lord might, might call you to, to be a part in, in investing in, in Print Community Church, um, talk to me. There's all kinds of ways that, uh, that we could, uh, we could, I could, maybe give you some ideas about how you could help. Uh, and then finally, even go. Um, if, if, uh, you know, if, if you sense the Lord calling or tugging at your heart to, you know, to maybe step out and be a part of something, um, that, that, uh, that's different or that you've never done this before, but you're, you're really interested in kind of being a part of it. Um, I mean, we would, we, we need people. So <laughs> there's that yeah. too. And not that I want to steal all your people, but, um, you're good. You're good. Anyway, <laughs> but, I, I, I would say, I mean, it's just been through that process myself Prayer thing is so huge. We had about 30 people on our prayer team, and I felt their prayers as we were starting the church. Um, and the more people you can have praying for you, just the more it, it, just the more you know that the Lord is, is helping in hearing those yeah. prayers. And it's not people just saying, oh, yeah, I'll pray, but people who will take you on their heart every day just to lift you up before the Lord. And then, uh, obviously, church planting costs money. I mean, the, the reality is, is we would love to do it for free, and we would love to go out and do it free, but... In order to reach people in our marketed consumer culture, it costs money to actually to be able to get in front of people um, and, uh, and to have a gathering and, and, a, and a public space, so definitely. And then if you guys, I mean, here at Generation Church, we believe that you are not our people. You are, the, you know, you are God's children. You're you know, part of God's family. And here at Generation Church, we are not about how many we can gather. We're all about how many we can send. And so if any of you, as Carl's been talking, if you feel, you know, that, hey, I want to hear a little bit more about that. I have a heart for Perry Hall. 
um, and uh, you know, and I want to know a little bit more, then feel free to talk to Kyle. Um, you know, we are not a church that say, well, that's them and that's us. You know, we're all part of the kingdom of God and we all want to help each other. So if there's anybody here who may be, you know, an awesome person for you, then, you know, that would be great. And we would love to be able to send, you know, somebody or some folks over to you to help you um, with that. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. And uh, there's a little sheet of paper it's a very primitive uh, sign up sheet uh, it's all scribbled out but on that little info table on the back there's a piece of paper that says imprint community um, email list so if you want more information or you want to connect with me uh, and ask some questions later just make sure your name and email get on that list and I will be glad to follow up with you but, uh, sounds good well before before we uh, we let you go I've just got a scripture I want to read and then I'll, I just want you to share something with uh, just the rest of everybody here but it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 18 to 29. So it's a long one, but listen to this. It says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we are being saved. uh, But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. And if you're around here long enough, you realize sometimes, Alex, the things you say are really foolish. Um, Then verse 22, it says, uh, it is the foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it is all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that uh, few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who were wise. And he chose those things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by this world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So God chooses the foolish things of the world. He chooses the things that are sometimes may seem unpowerful to bring about his word and his gospel. So Carl, just one last thing. What would you say to anybody here this morning who feels maybe God is tugging on their heart, maybe to be part of a church plant, to plant a church, to step into leadership, to uh, maybe take that step of faith? What, as someone who's made, made a step of faith and is making that step of faith every day, what would you say to them you know, as they're on that decision, they feel God tugging on their heart? I would say move. Um, I, and I, Not I, to Houston, though. Just yeah, no, don't, yeah, don't move away. <laughs> um, but when, when God calls and you, you sense the Lord guiding and directing. I think if the longer you wait, the more likely you are to kind of talk yourself out of it and go, yeah, I don't think that's really what he has for me. Um, and so I think there's a sense of um, kind of instantaneous obedience 
where you might find yourself in this crazy place, but the Lord is doing stuff you wouldn't have believed that he would do it. I don't know if you has, – haven't you ever seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Mm-hmm. So there's this scene, like he's got to go through this kind of ancient gauntlet, you know, to get to the, the Holy Grail. And he's, he comes out, and there's this giant chasm to get, I mean, he's supposed to be on the other side of this thing, and there's just absolutely no way across it. And he's got, he's got this little book or whatever, and it says, like, take a step of faith or something like that. And he's like, oh, my goodness. Like, he's just, it's just this giant chasm, but he's like, this is the only way to do. So he puts his foot up. And the camera's right behind him and looking at this giant. And you're like, he's just going to walk off into nothingness, right? And he takes this step, and it stops. It looks like he stops in midair. And the camera pans around and reveals this, like, thin little land bridge that had been there all the while but totally blended in. So it looked like he's stepping into nothing. But there was ground there all along. He just couldn't see it from where he was until the camera kind of spun around, right? Um, and I, I feel like that's kind of what the journey that we've been on in church planning, but I think it's the journey that each of you could be on, right. um, wherever God is calling you to, to move or whatever he's calling you to do. You might not see it all. Um, it might not all make sense at the front end from your vantage point, but if you just step out, you'll find that he's there, that he's provided the, the ground for the next step. Um, and so I would say, you know, don't, don't sit and debate and mull it over and that kind of thing for too long. I mean, there's wisdom in seeking counsel from people who know you and that kind of thing. So I'm not discounting that. But I just say if you sense the Lord leading, move on it. You know, speak to it. Yeah. And, and, good. And, and, and don't delay. That's good. Well, we're going to pray for Carl. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand as a church. Um, as we stand, I'm going to ask the band to come back. Um, and uh, we're going to pray. And I, I'd ask just to, you guys just to reach out your hand you know, and uh, to Kyle, and uh, we're going to pray that God just uses this guy in amazing ways. Perry Hall needs Jesus, and so we believe that God takes the foolish things of this world, and he takes what sometimes may seem nothing and powerless, and he makes it powerful, and he uses it in incredible ways. So let's pray for Kyle this morning.